Hello, welcome to CIO Leadership Live Australia. I'm Cathy O'Sullivan, Editor-in-Chief APAC for Foundry's flagship enterprise brands, CIO and CSO. Today on the show, we have John Taylor, one of our CIO 50 alumni, and who was until very recently Group Executive Technology and Security at MedHealth. Hello, John. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Yeah, and likewise. Uh, um, and thank you. It's uh, yeah, exciting, good start for the year um, and uh, loving the weather. Great stuff, great stuff. So look, um, John, uh, as I said, you, you were until recently the group exec for technology and security at MedHealth. Can you give us a bit of an overview of your career to date and how you got your start in IT? Yeah, uh, certainly. Um, yeah, I probably got a bit of a non-traditional uh, run into IT. Um, so I started up um, left high school and actually uh, joined the Victoria Police Force and went through um, that angle and uh, did normal street policing and, and things like that, so the divisional van um, and everything. And at that time, after a little bit of a uh, few couple of years there, I started doing a degree, uh, so commerce and IT degree, uh, which sort of opened my eyes to possibilities. It was uh, going to university was always a a name, but uh, high school um, didn't reflect that capability, shall we say. Um, and then what happened was um, I uh, went in and became, trained as a detective for the computer crime squad um, and did that for a couple of years. And at that stage, computer crime, no one really knew anything about it. And it was back in the days, if um, people are old enough to remember, when Amazon only sold books and you had to uh, sort of ring up for those books and and those sort of things. So we were doing a lot of different uh, work. The internet was new, so a lot of different um, crimes were being committed and it was all groundbreaking new new things. Um, then dot-com era came along, jumped into a dot-com, uh, jumped into, from there, went into um, a security role within um, CGO Insurance, which then became... IAG set up their security capability and had uh, one of the best times of my career in that time um, as we uh, did a lot of a lot of new stuff. Um, went overseas, did a number of different global roles um, in uh, different areas of IT and uh, which have uh, really opened my eyes to how you've got to work with people, get people uh, on side and the, the nuances of culture. And um, and how you had to hone your communication skills to actually help explain and uh, and grow people into particular roles for delivery. I uh, came back to Australia after a, a couple of different roles there and um, landed and did some divisional CIO roles, uh, CTO roles, and size role for AGL. Um, and uh, that was another really good time in my career. And uh, and as you mentioned recently, it was a group exec role for um, in the health sector. So overall, I've, I've worked it out. I've done consulting as well, um, and I've probably done different guises anywhere between nine to eleven different sectors. And at the moment, I've never I haven't worked in the same sector twice. So it's a quite an eclectic um, eclectic uh, background, and an advantage I've probably got is um, I keep adopting what I've done in, in one sector 
and say, oh, that could be used in another sector and then bring that across that way. But, yeah, it's been a been an interesting ride so far is all I can say. Absolutely. And great to have that experience of so many different sectors. And yeah, interesting as well. You're talking about computer crime back in the day. And now it's something that's an everyday um, occurrence and very much front of mind for for CIOs and CISOs. So look, what have been some of the bigger transformation projects you've been involved with over the years? Yeah, um, quite a, there's been quite a few ones and uh, ones that have been probably um, revolutionary change as well as evolutionary change. Uh, personally, I prefer the uh, evolutionary change approach than the revolutionary, but you still got to do both. But um, uh, I mentioned IAG before, did an IT insourcing um, project. So we were outsourced to IBM and back in the day, that was the, the flavour that you either outsourced or insourced and everyone had done the outsourcing and we were bring, brought it back in-house and that was great building an IT shop. Um, global security transformation project um, when uh, I was working out of London so it was across 186 different countries and um, at that stage uh, people really didn't understand what had to be put in place for a global business um, and for cyber security and I remember having the discussions about the definition of what cyber security was at that stage that was a little while ago um, did a cloud um, a couple of cloud transformations have been really good. So um, when the technology is new and getting that automation done into your stack is a fantastic way to go. And uh, probably one of the more uh, rewarding ones recently has been around uh, an agile transformation um, and getting those ways of working right um, in, a, in an organisation. Now, from those big projects that you've mm-hmm. been involved in over the years, is there anything that is kind of a commonality amongst those um, transformations? Are there any key steps you think that CIOs must take along the way when they're starting out on a transformation journey? I think I think the first one is, well, when you land, um, you got to listen and you've got to understand what is actually the key points and uh, that people are having issue with in the business and then also what's the key capability within the, the technology shop itself and into the business. Um, and it, it comes back to, and we say it quite a lot um, in business, you can't execute things without good people. So if you haven't got the right people, regardless of what you're trying to do, you, you're setting yourself up for failure and getting good people, it's not necessarily going to get the, the, the biggest brained individual going around that's done everything but a person who's got the aptitude to drive the change and then to be able to um, get an outcome without you having to micromanage that so keeping an eye on the on their prize at the end and I think um, the big one for me is you've got to empower people to make decisions whilst you're doing that transformation because they'll learn and because you can't be there every everywhere um, you know, you, you've got to let people be able to have a crack at things and if they fail or go a bit off track, your role there is to re-guide, um, re-point and guide that in the right direction. So you need to be able to make sure as a CIO that you're painting that end picture clearly to the people um, so the outcome's important. How they get there, that's a different story. You know, they might 
um, you know, it might actually surprise you and do, do it a totally different way than you actually thought that was possible. And uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot's got to do with the people. What about? Um, I mean, people are always challenging. But are there any other um, roadblocks or things that you think, from your experience doing transformation, that you know you're mindful of when you're setting out on this transformation journey, and you think anyone who's starting out on this journey should should think about? You know, what are some of those sticky points that that pop up, um, and and how do you overcome them? Yeah, uh, it's, I think fatigue is a big one. Um, we all talk about like change fatigue or whatever, and we've all been there is you look, yeah, we've sold a project and I was le- reading or uh, listening to another podcast um, uh, earlier this year or last year and they were talking about how it's human nature to oversell the project or the transformation that you want to do and the benefits at the end. So thinking ahead, you're really better off calling it as it is and not overselling and getting people on board early and understanding what needs to be done. So when the business is starting to change, that then starts becoming the first um, hurdle because if the business changes one way for the positive where you want to go along with your change, everyone will keep that buying. But if they start changing the business environment or the business people, stakeholders start changing, you've got to go back to all that process again and you've got to really call it out and say, Remember, this is what we did. And I think um, that, um, to me, is that chance of change um, of business stakeholders and environment is probably the the biggest um, uh, in, uh, roadblock that then leads into the main one uh, or a sub part of that is really when things get hard, people... Um, start losing interest or going, well, you know, we're never going to get there. And every change or transformation, no matter how big, gets difficult at some stage. And if you look at um, practices of change when back in the day it used to be, well, you do a three or four-year transformation journey and it might be still take you that long or, or whatever. But if you don't break it up into small chunks to try and avoid that roadblock, you, you're just going to get a world of pain, probably your second budget cycle of any of any major transformation. So, you know, focusing and keeping that focus is is really really important. So, just broadening it out, then you mentioned evolution versus revolution earlier. Do you like to see transformation as something you know with a an end date and deliverables and milestones and you know a, a very um, structured timeline on things or do you like to see transformation as just an ongoing development within any business it's funny is um i'm gonna go both (laughs) because um you've got to have structured plans and you've got to have structured deliverables and benefits realization and you know drive my people nuts saying what are the three big outcomes that you're going to have what are the three things you're going to report out of this initiative going forward what is it that's going to show that benefit. So that structure's there. And on the flip side, you, you do want some serendipity around creativity of that transformation. And that then probably makes um, that adjustability and the buy-in of everyone stronger because people feel that um, you know, we're, ha- we're tied into an endpoint, but you know, 
we can do be creative how we're gonna gonna do that and the reason my main my main piece I do like revolutionary cha- uh, sorry evolutionary change as opposed to revolutionary change because you can do small projects that build into a bigger a bigger change and you usually find if you do it that way two years three years four years down the track everyone looks back and go gee we have done a hell of a lot but they don't feel like they're they're getting beaten up with the change mallet or the change hammer so it's um you get a lot more um outcome and a lot more um shift in practices that way yeah absolutely and being mindful as you said earlier you know of that impact of of change fatigue as well on your people and indeed the organization so look i know you'll have dealt with many um vendors and technology providers over the years what do you look for when it comes to choosing a technology partner what does a good partnership look like in your view yeah so i'm going to park uh, in this sense, I'm going to park the financial parts of it because probably even will go cost. You know, people and I don't. You get the wrong partner, your cost can blow out anyway. So I think that's that sort of takes care of itself. But for me, it's the culture fit. So you've got to get a partner who's uh, fits with your mindset, fits with the people that um, they're going to work day to day. Um, and yeah, you do have a commercial relationship, but there's a there's a bit more of a personal relationship that's being established. And then I also like to have partners that will challenge me and challenge my team to do things differently or how we're trying to target. So what I mean by that is, and I've been, like I said before, been on the other side of the fence as well, is the partners that you're hiring have usually seen a few more different organisations than you have um, and they're up, more up to date with what people are trying to do and trying not to do. So if I like a partner to call out and say, actually, I don't think you should do it this way because of X, Y, Z as opposed to like a lemming off a cliff, you're all going in the same direction and then then they turn around afterwards and go, oh, yeah, we shouldn't have, Yeah, I knew we shouldn't have done that. It's like, well, why don't you tell me at the time and challenge and give me the option to say, um, nah, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's uh, from that side. And um, and the last one is for me is a, as a partner that actually um, focuses at some stage on the exit strategy. And what I mean by that is you're not going to do business with them anymore or be a partner, but being able to hand over the piece of work or the outcome that you can manage it yourself, you can run it yourself, so that then you're not relying on the on the partner. And um, I've driven it in my last organisation, and we we did it in a, um, from a uh, previous pieces of work in other organisations. Is around the organisation as an organisation, you are the system integrator, and then you get partners to deliver those discrete pieces of work. So then you own the strategy; you can't devolve. Um, oversight and uh, and those sort of things and get those individual people to do those pieces of discrete work and then they can then exit and you're managing um, that going forward and, and reaping the benefits. You get them back in later on because they've ticked all your, all your nice boxes for the next piece of work. Yeah, it's a very good point there, thinking about what happens when you want it handed back over to your team. Um, so look, 
there's been a lot of noise, a lot of discussion around Gen AI, AI um, in the past 12 months. It's definitely um, a, a very hot topic. Keen to hear your thoughts on whether you think it's something that should be wholeheartedly embraced or do you think CIOs should exercise a bit of caution around Gen AI in particular? I think it's AI. AI automation and as it's evolved into a bit of AI and all that sort of stuff, it's been around for quite a while. And I think you've really got to um, automate or perish. So you'll be getting into, you know, um, capabilities that will go into that side that will drive businesses well and true. And the worst thing you want as a, as a technology leader is the business going off and doing a whole bunch of things without taking you along with that journey or being able to, provide um, input or, you know, drive for that to begin with because it could be making uneducated decisions or conversely, if they're making good decisions, you can you can uh, help build on that. But I think uh, where CIOs really should be focusing is, all right, let's get the data right because you can't do automation, you can't do AI if your data and everything is a total mess. And then if you're getting that basis basics right, then that will give you the the um, the leg up to do um, quality AI um, components. But you, know, you should put your toe in the water. You should be helping, showing innovation and driving the business forward through that as well. So how has the role of CIO changed since you first started out in your career? And what do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing CIOs today? I think the biggest change I've seen is that the the technology leadership role is really just seen as the person that was running desktops and servers and, and those sort of things into a business partner. And or a business leader or business equal. And I think the biggest risk or the um, for an organisation, if they don't get their CIO um, involved in the business um, and CIOs um, conversely also are not willing to get involved in the business. And I think um, a lot of, uh, you know, a business might see, say, you know, the technology leader, they're not running a P&L or they're not, uh, part of the, uh, the part of the business, but the insight that a CIO can bring is that they cut across the business and see a whole bunch of different things. And if you look at my career, I've looked at so many uh, sectors and everything. There's little insights I could bring that they might not have thought of, or or conversely, um, and I've seen this so many times. You have one part of the business doing A, and the other part of the business doing the same A. And you go, well, how come you guys aren't talking to each other because we're wasting money? So I think that's the the biggest um, issue that CIOs have got and it's also the biggest issues that um, businesses or the thing that businesses don't um, or they run the risk of not um, leveraging enough, the technology leaders. So just on that then, how as a CIO do you demonstrate the value that the IT team brings to the wider organization? And, you know, is that, has that strategy part that sees all the pieces and how they can work better together? Mm. How do you champion the work you do and your team does to the exec and the, the wider organization? Good. Very good question, that one. Um, and I think regardless of all the transformation and all that sort of 
uh, pieces and change that you bring, your license to operate is getting the basics right. So you have to get um, your basic operational capabilities correct and you have to get stability in the environment and you have to improve that part of the environment. The other part to it is around um, the financial management. If you're seen as a good financial manager, most likely the businesses will start um, entrusting you with with more capability and and uh, more empower with more more cost control or, or cost spend. Oh, and this the last part of it, and then is that when you're doing coming back to the transformation pieces, it structure around those projects. So if you deliver what you say you're going to deliver, then the business goes, okay, that's great. And then if you deliver, say, five quality pieces of work um, and then the sixth one doesn't go well, they're going to turn around and go, well, okay, well, I, you know, there's a bit of credit for what you've done in the past and a bit of, of buy-in. So I think, yeah, get the basics right, get your operational capabilities right, and then work out how do you get your, your project delivery correct and uh, and help drive that organisation forward through that strategy piece. Now, you mentioned earlier the importance of people. Yep. So what's been your strategy around people, the people piece in the past, around getting the best out of your team and, and making them really thrive? Yeah, it's... Um, yes, but, but probably the biggest one when I think, reflect on that question is... You, you try to treat people the way that you want to be treated. So what I mean by that is when I reflect on my career, what I wanted to do is I wanted to do good work. I wanted to be listened to. I wanted to be able to um, have a go at things. I wanted to know that my my leaders had my back if things weren't going, going right. And so if I do the same thing, so if I listen to my staff, I empower my staff to uh, make decisions uh, give them interesting pieces of work and and make them uh, feel like they're adding value to the organisation, then those people grow. So um, we all want to go to work and we all want to be people that go to work for a reason. And we just, you know, if you think about through your whole career, the roles that you haven't liked, they're usually the ones where you just go and you sit at a desk, it's same trudgery every day, why am I doing this? But if the ones that you go for, there's a good camaraderie around the, the um, department. There's um, leaders that listen to uh, what's going on if you raise concerns or, or whatever. And there's, um, you know, you're entrusted and you're empowered to, to deliver what you want to do. So I think that empowerment for me is a huge thing. And as a CIO, you still carry the can. Again, you know, if some if you're empowering someone and they um, don't succeed, you've got to cover them, give them air cover to turn it around. But you still got to take accountability for what that outcome is. Look, technology has had a problem in recent years around diversity, and you know it is improving. But I'm just curious on your thoughts around how to attract more people from different backgrounds to consider technology and IT as a career? Yeah. I've, over the years, I've actually hired a lot of people who are fresh into IT and never had a, had a background in IT for particular roles. So, you know, 
labour markets around the world have always been tight and that, that, that drive for getting good people has always been difficult. So if you think a bit laterally and go, well, do I yeah, I'm working I'm working in an engineering company, for example, and I can't find person who's got those particular skills. So can I get someone who's an engineer that can talk that language of the business and then skill them up to be able to to learn? And I've done that a couple of times with with people where, you know, they've got like a rabbit in the headlights. Uh, in the role, but because they understand the business uh, or the uh, what the business does through their own background, jumping and learning that extra bit is actually not not as big a jump as what they they fear, and and that diversity is um, you know diversity of gender backgrounds, um, beliefs, all those sort of things. Is really really important to get a very good, solid outcome in what you're trying to do. Coming back to you know questioning and curiosity and and things like that. So you know you put that into the into the melting pot, and then before you know it, you've got um, a group and a, and a solid group of people that can uh, really deliver what what needs to be done and enjoying what they do. Yeah, no, for sure. It's amazing the perspectives that someone who's come from the business into the IT team that can provide. Um, so when you reflect back on your own career, John, are there any lessons or mistakes you've made along the way that in hindsight you've learned a lot from and they've really shaped you as a leader? Um, yeah, I, I've spoken to a few people about this over the years. Is I do have this thing called, uh, you know, you you got an asset that we – that we often don't delve into, and that's mistake collateral. So if you think about your whole life and you think about your whole career, you've made a lot of lot of mistakes, but you always go to people and say, look at how successful I've been or look how successful that person is. But the mistakes that you're making along the way are, um, yeah, are probably what you need to really focus on and learn from. And I remember my first leadership roles, it was – I made some doozy of mistakes with how I manage people and how I, you know, um, talk to people. Or when I was doing first projects of how to make sure that those deliverables and articulation and and things were done, and it's just a matter of how um, you recover from those mistakes as quick as possible. Um, I haven't actually answering your question. Actually, hasn't delved in on a particular particular mistake. Um, though, but I think the biggest the biggest one for me, and it's it's probably a number of bits. And I keep coming back to it. Listening is, you know, I've I've done a number of times where I just haven't stopped um, stopped the conversation to listen into what someone is saying in that room. They're saying that for a reason, and then delving into why why are they saying why are they saying that? And that took me a long time to learn because I was just going more learning towards that groupthink view as opposed to going, okay, so you tell me why are you doing it? And then the next, the, 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 uh, one of the uh, early mistakes I made, you know, in a leadership sense was uh, recruiting a team that with a lot of similarities as opposed to the big diverse team. Now, luckily I made that really early in my career and I still think probably there's a number of leaders out there later in their careers still haven't learned that 
that um, part. But I think if I was going to go to anyone who's a new leader, just identify what your gaps are in your own makeup, get people in your leadership team who can plug those gaps, get get people in that leadership team who have the same culture values as you. Um, it doesn't have to be I, you know, exact, but they everyone's pushing in the right direction. And then encourage encourage that diversity of thought and diversity of of conversation and thinking that will will make you a more successful leader as you can because you can't do everything and know everything and that's probably the biggest mistake that every leader leader makes at some stage in their career. Mm, mm, for sure, no great advice there. So finally, then, John, what's important to you as we head into twenty twenty four? Um. Yeah, so um, well, I mean, but as mentioned, as at um, left med health now, so I'm in between in between roles. But I think from a um, if I look at like a industry perspective, I think everywhere the economy has changed a little bit. Um, so uh, companies who haven't focused on um, effective cost management are going to struggle. Um, so this year, it's going to be about how can I get even more from more from the same or more for less, and where I get investment is is that investment the best thing that I can get for future growth into into going forward, and that might mean you know long game again on that investment. But I think um, technology, I think, is showing its worth and it's showing its value in all organisations, and yeah, you know, we talk about companies being technology companies and not technology companies. And I find it very hard to find a company these days that doesn't have a heavy reliance on technology. Um, so it's how you manage those costs is going to be really important for every every leader. And coming back to something I mentioned before is I think data um, is probably so, so important to get right because it's an underpin for, for everything. And 2024 has got to be you know, security, exploitation, compliance, you know, monetization of your data well john it's been a pleasure chatting to you and i look forward to catching up with you again in your next role john taylor thank you so much for talking to us on cio leadership live today thank you kathy it was uh good to uh share my views <laughs>